Amen. Hey, chapter 3, page uh, 18, if you have a workbook with you, the rest of you use your imagination. That's right. And bring it next week, uh, Lord willing. Uh, 18, we are in chapter 3. That's right. Chapter 1, we saw that everything has a beginning. How many guys here tonight had a beginning? Raise your hand. Those of you didn't raise your hand, you scared me really bad, okay, because you had a beginning, believe it or not. Okay, that was chapter one. The second chapter, we saw that everything has a design, okay, and then that's when we popped out into 10 weeks uh, just on the topic of intelligent design. But now we're back in action to chapter three, what, okay, everything has a beginning, which implies a beginner, i.e. God, okay? Everything has a design, which implies a designer, i.e. God, okay? But our world comes back and says this, but what about evolution? Surely that disproves God, right? Wrong answer. That's right, Bobby. Thanks you for that sound effect. Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, in fact, it's not even based on science. It's a lie. Okay, but what about evolution is the issue of our intro to apologetics. And what we're going to see is when it comes to evolution, it's much more complicated than uh, it uh, appears to be. Uh, there's actually six different types of evolution I'm going to run through real quick. And so when somebody says they believe in evolution, really a good question is, well, which one? Okay. And what we're going to see, just before we even get into the chapter here, is what they do is they take this last one, which we do, and it's the only one we observe in science, in the realm of reality. And then they assume all the rest of them, which are not based in reality. It's like a little bait and switch thing going on, but we'll get to that uh, in a second. But the first one, if somebody says, I believe in evolution, ask them which one. The first one, of course, is cosmic evolution, and that's what we dealt with last time in our intelligent design, the issue of the Big Bang. Okay, that's cosmic evolution. And so you'll have people that would uh, believe that that was a random chance event. Now, as we saw, not to belabor that whole issue, we spent 10 weeks on it. But uh, again, uh, the Big Bang, rather than disproving God, actually proves that there is a God because logically, even scientifically, uh, we know the law of cause and effect, that's an actual scientific law, that something doesn't arrive from nothing, right? You open up your checkbook and you close it again, and then you open it up and all of a sudden, hey, there's an extra thousand bucks. I'll keep doing this all day long and it. No, something has to cause it to get in there. That's just common sense, and that's a, not just common sense logic. That's a scientific law, right? So if the Big Bang proves that there was a beginning, that something uh, uh, happened at a beginning point, a bang, whatever it is, okay, then logically something had to cause it. It's not a random event. There's no way. That actually is unscientific to think like that. But that's one point of evolution. They believe it in cosmic evolution. The next one, as you can see, is what's called chemical evolution. And chemical evolution is basically that all the elements, if you will, uh, ultimately came from the one uh, uh, element, spit it out there, Sparky, uh, hydrogen, okay, hydrogen. And I want to read to you a little bit on that topic, okay. Evolutionists have, this guy says, a most amazing faith, because that's what it is. It's not based on science. It's a faith. You have to believe this. You have to believe that these first five actually happen. We don't see them in uh, the world. We don't see them demonstrated. We don't see them in research. We don't see them in reality. These first five, you have to accept by faith. The only evidence that they have is the artwork that they draw, the cartoons in the textbooks by and large. You don't see this in reality. And that's why, like he says, evolutionists have the most amazing faith. And if you believe that we all came from a rock, you got more faith than I do. And that's ultimately what it boils down to. But he says this. He says, they believe that people have evolved up from the ape or something like an ape, that apes and other mammals have evolved from reptiles, that reptiles have evolved from amphibians, amphibians from fish, 
fish from some unknown phylum or multi-celled invertebrates, that invertebrates in all their phyla evolved from some unknown protozoan, and that some other unknown protozoan evolved from complex chemicals, and that complex chemical elements evolved from the simplest chemical element of all, namely hydrogen. Now he says the operative word in the above sentence is believe. There is no evidence for this remarkable chain of events. Apes and reptiles and vertebrates and invertebrates and chemical elements, including hydrogen, are still here in abundance, okay? But none of them ever change into nothing else. We don't see this in reality, okay? It's a belief. The remarkable chain of events is in reality nothing but a remarkable statement of faith in the great God of hydrogen, the elemental substance to which is the supposed father and mother of us all, okay? So if you guys got low self-esteem tonight, be encouraged tonight, turn to somebody right now and say, hey, I came from gas. <laughs> Go ahead. Feel great about yourself. Isn't that awesome? Whoa, I'm leaving here pumped, right? In fact, maybe we could help the evolutionists out. Now, I think you guys can put this together. I'm not going to fill in all the blanks for you, but supposedly we all came from gas according to chemical evolution. Right now, now, see, this is cosmic evolution, big bang, dirt. So here, these guys believe we, in the beginning, dirt. We came from a ball of dirt. Here, it's in the beginning, hydrogen. We all came from gas. So we all came from gas. They don't have any proof for it. Why don't we do the Christian thing and help them out? We all know that this Sunday, what do we have afterwards? See, Bill, you knew exactly where I was going with that. I didn't have to say a word. We're having the chili cook-off, right? We're going to ingest lots of... Yes, now you're getting it. Now it's, we're evolving with the thought process. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I tell you what, why don't we help them out? Why don't we, somebody, we've got a couple video cameras, right, Jordan, around. All right, why don't we videotape it just in case something evolves from the chili cook-off? We'll catch it in action because we all came from gas. It's great. Now, as goofy as that is, that's what they believe. We came from gas. Crazy. In the beginning, dirt. Now they say in the beginning, gas. Now, again, that's what they uh, believe, okay? Thus, hydrogen, the simplest chemical element, is a colorless, odorless, tasteless gas, which, given 10 billion years or so, has produced people. Now, he goes into this, and he says, now, the chief problem among many, and this is, again, what we saw last week in intelligent design, the second law of thermodynamics, which tells us that things are in the process of decay, of disorder, not of improving in order. So the whole premise of the chemical uh, basic element, hydrogen, gas producing us, is that things are going to get better and better and better. That's not what we see in reality. That's not what we see in science. So it goes against another scientific law. This goes against the law of cause and effect. This goes against the second law of thermodynamics, which is what we can observe, which again is what science is supposed to be. He goes on, he says, thus we're left with hydrogen as the originator of everything else, gas, even though we don't know how it did this, as an article of faith, we are asked simply to intone the evolutionary mantra in the beginning, hydrogen. And I like this comment. He says that belief is supposed to be more credible than in the beginning God. And we're the goofy ones. And you say we came from either a ball of dirt which dirt can't do nothing, okay? Or you came from gas. Man, I feel awesome tonight. I'm, I'm leaving here skipping, dancing. I came from gas or dirt, whichever one. I feel great. How about you? Yeah, whatever. Okay, he said, now perhaps the saddest aspect of this whole scenario is that so many Christians are being taken in by it. And I would agree. You don't need to bend to the live evolution at all. In fact, he says this. I love this. Listen to this quote. 
The evidence for chemical evolution is so embarrassing. If we get that far, I want to talk about their supposed uh, evidence for chemical life evolving, which they had to help to uh, uh, produce, which they didn't produce. And I'll get to that second. It's called the Miller-Urey experiment. You hear that? Still put it in textbooks today. It's a lie. Okay, and I'll hopefully get that far. Okay, it's embarrassing. It's ridiculous. Even with their own intelligence to prove that it take, doesn't take intelligence to produce life, they still couldn't do it. Right? But anyway, it's so embarrassing, this guy says, listen, that some evolutionists insist that the whole idea of the origin of life is not even a part of the theory of evolution, but it's a creationist plot to discredit evolution. <laughs> Can you believe that? It's your fault this doesn't work. You brought this whole thing up anyway just to make our theory look goofy that we came from gas. We're just trying to say we came from gas. We're not trying to provide a theory for... No, yes, you are. You use it all the time. But it's so embarrassing, now it's our fault. Can you believe that? That's absolutely why. So let's continue on. So that's uh, cosmic evolution, chemical evolution. Then you have stellar or planetary evolution, and that's this one here. The problem we saw again last week, if you were here, we saw that uh, another law, the uh, conservation angular, uh, angular momentum, uh, that law, that if a spinning object, if things break apart from that object, if it's going clockwise, and it blows, it breaks apart, then the objects that fly off of it are also logically, scientifically going to go which direction? Clockwise. The problem we solved last week is that doesn't, you have uh, planets, you have galaxies, and things that go backwards. Everything is not spinning in the same direction. So again, if evolution is true, we came from a little bit, uh, some, some dirt that was spinning clockwise, pick whatever one you got. It's got to be spinning one direction, okay? And it all blew up, everything should be Go in the same direction. It's not. So you got a problem with that one too. Then you got organic uh, evolution. That's just basically their understanding of how life starts to appear on the scene. Here's where when they talk about evolution, this is what most of us understand. And I wanted to get this because, again, it's kind of like a dance around. If you've ever tried to witness to a, a Catholic person, with all due respect, sometimes it's a challenge. All right? We've talked about this before in our other uh, discipleship studies. But a Catholic person it has basically... Uh, four elements of truth, okay? Four elements of truth. And uh, basically you say, well, here's what the Bible says. That's not true. There is no such place as purgatory. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord or you go straight into hell. That's what the Bible says. But they'll say, well, yeah, we believe in the Bible. But then they'll say, but Pope so-and-so said such and such. So that becomes your source of truth. And you say, well, you can't trust the Popes. They're just man. That's what the Bible says. Okay, and they'll say, well, but the church council of whatever blah, blah, blah year said, blah, blah. Yeah, well, that's just a group of men that doesn't make it better, doesn't make them uh, infallible. And I said, well, okay, well, the early church fathers, we, I, I don't care if they're early, late, mid, in between, have a midlife crisis, I don't care. It's still a man and they're infallible, that's what the Bible says. But see, that's what happens is if, if you've ever gone through that experience and trying to witness, it, you're dancing around, you're playing a little game. You'll say, the Bible says so, but they'll say, Pope so-and-so. So you're the Pope so-and-so, they'll say, well, but the church says so. But you say the church and they go down. And they just keep going back and forth, back and forth. Here's my point with this. When you encounter oftentimes in dispelling the lie of evolution, they'll say, okay, well, maybe we don't see it in the stellar, but we know it's in the cosmic. So you go to the cosmic guy, well, oh, and you point out the problems with that. Oh, yeah, but we know it's in the chemical. So you go to the chemical guy and says, I'm sorry, we didn't come from gas. Oh, but we see it in the macro. You see what I'm saying? It's the same thing. And that's why I wanted to explain to you the different types because that's the dance. That's the game that they play uh, with you and I. Now, macroevolution is typically what we think of. And that is basically the belief that one kind of animal can actually evolve into another kind of animal. And that's very key. 
Okay, now do we see that? No, we do not see that at all uh, in science at all. Now, what they do is now they take microevolution, okay? And microevolution is simply species variation, okay? Now, this is the only one that we observe. This is the only one that is true. It's an unfortunate term that they want to call it microevolution because, well, there it is, proof for evolution. No, no, all it is is species variation. And what it means by that is you have a dog kind, which all the dogs maybe did come from the kind like a wolf. And you have variations. You got big dogs, you got little dogs. Okay, you got black dogs, you got white dogs. You got manly dogs, you got my dogs, we need dogs, but they're cool. <laughs> All right. You got all kinds of dogs, right? But you step back, and that is of the dog kind. It's not a catfish. Okay? That's a whole different kind. It's not a giraffe. That's a different kind. It's not a bird. That's a different kind, right? So we see that same thing with do dogs, cats, you know, whatever, different sizes, different colors. That's all microevolution. I'm telling you, it's an unfortunate term because it confuses people. Not only confuses, but here's how they bait people. And they do this in school, they do this in the textbooks, and on the deal. What they do is they take microevolution, species variations, that you can have a big dog, little dog, black dog, white dog, and they'll say, see, this is proof for macroevolution. No, because this whole belief would be like basically saying, okay, that dog, I don't care what size it was at what point or what color it was, it is never going to evolve into a whale. And the whale is not going to come on land and turn into a corn plant. Okay, now I understand that dogs drink water, whales live in water, and plants need water, but that doesn't prove a common ancestor. They're different kinds, right? So what they do, and this is how they bait people, they show you examples of what we do see, which is common sense, species variation. And they say, see, that proves evolution, and somehow all the rest of that stuff. We see none of the first five, zero, zippo. The only one we see is this. Now, this is the only one that's not only scientific, it's also the only one that's biblical. God said that all you are ever going to find is one kind of animal. They're never going to go into another kind. You'll have variations, but he made them according to their, not species, according to their kind. Open your Bibles to Genesis once again, and let's read that. Every jot, every tittle in the scripture is there for a reason. And God let us know, okay, way back then, that he was creating not species, he was creating kinds. Okay? Let's take a look. Genesis. And uh, if you find uh, Genesis 1, what do you do? Stay there and go to verse 20, actually. And uh, let's take a look there. Genesis 1.20. And here's what God said. Okay? And God said, let the waters teem with living, excuse me, living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the, the great creatures of the sea and every living thing uh, moving uh, with which the water teems According to their what? Species? No, kinds, right? So you got a bird kind, you got a fish kind, right? You got different birds, you got different fish. But stand back, it's a bird, it's a fish. Okay, it's a kind. Continue on. He says this, he goes on, he says, and, and uh, according to his kind, God saw that it was good. So God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the water in the seas, let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. Then God said this, Let land produce living creatures according to their what? Kinds. So you got livestock kinds, you got the kinds of the creatures that move along the ground, you got wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds. Okay, the livestock according to their kinds. And all the creatures that move along the ground according to their 
kinds, and God saw that was good. So God says, what you're going to see in my creation, here's how I did it. I created a dog kind. I created a livestock kind. I created a bird kind. I created a fish kind. Okay, and then eventually he gets around to human kind. Okay, and that's what you're going to find. Now, over time, you got bigger people, smaller people, bigger dogs, smaller dogs, bigger birds, smaller fish, but that's it. That's all the kinds. They don't turn into something else, another kind. A bird is never going to turn into a fish. As we saw before on the issue even of dinosaurs, one of the latest theories that they come up with is they're actually saying that dinosaurs turn into another kind, that dinosaurs are now birds. That dinosaurs, they say, that's one of the big theories out now, that dinosaurs evolved into birds. And I like it. One guy says, man, if that's the case, you better carry a big umbrella. <laughs> Excuse me, they didn't turn into birds. Birds have always been birds. Dinosaurs have always been dinosaurs. They're two different kinds. Right? But they're coming up with anything and everything. What happened to the dinosaurs? What happened to the dinosaurs? Where are they? How about a flood? That'll wipe them out. And that's exactly what we'll see. And Lord willing, eventually, we'll get to that topic in great detail. So anyway, I wanted to explain that to you, but let's get into the definition of terms in your workbook, page 18. Microevolution, the small-scale variation, a change within species or species variation, big dog, little dog, etc., of animals and plants. Microevolution refers to the observable fact that living things can or must adapt to survive. Microevolution, species variation, is strongly supported by observation, research, and science, and is perfectly consistent with, guess who? The Bible. The Bible tells us that all the different races of humans descend from a common human ancestor. Blow somebody's mind away. Say, you know what? I know the first name of the very first human and it wasn't Chuck. It was Adam. It was Adam, right? It was Adam. We all come from Adam, okay? And Eve, she helped out. Anybody glad? Because she wouldn't be here if she wasn't helping out. So, okay. But that's what we, so we, we, we know. That's what the Bible says. We came from one kind. Okay, he says this. He says, Darwin's theory goes much farther than microevolution. Now, here's where they do the bait and switch. We see species variations, big people, small people, big dogs, little dogs, etc. kinds, now they say this, the macroevolution or Darwinian evolution, the theory that life began with the simple single-cell creatures then, then developed through random genetic mutation, natural selection, and the survival of the fittest uh, into a vast array of plant and animal life that populate our planet. Macroevolution refers to changes of one, and I actually disagree a little bit with the, the author here, add these two words, from one kind of species, so you don't get confused. One kind of species to produce a new kind of species. Right? It's not just species, because we see that species variation. But true macroevolution is you turn into a different kind. My catfish turned into a whale and then into a corn plant. I hated it. I was happy when he was in my fish tank, but then he sucked up all the water in my pool, had to get rid of him, but praise God, he's a corn plant now. Right? That's what it believes, but we don't see that in reality. It's make-believe. Right, this theory holds that evolution is an unguided, mindless, purposeless, and godless process. Is that what we saw in the evidence for 10 weeks in intelligent design? That it was complete random event? There's no... No, it's completely designed. There is nothing random. You can believe that all you want, but that's not what you see. He goes, for example, a 1995 official position statement of the American National Association of Biology Teachers states, the diversity of life on Earth is the outcome of evolution. Really, you know that. That's based on science, that's fact. No, it's a belief. And remember, here's where the irony is. Here's where the hypocrisy is. You and I, they would tell us, absolutely not get the Bible out of here. Don't even bring in this intelligent design, even though we're just dealing with scientific data. But they lump it in with, like, we're trying to introduce religion, and it's just science. 
okay? But they say that we can't have our faith in school. Get it out of here. There is no place for faith in school. But yet your whole basis is based on nothing but faith. 100% faith. Nothing of it is on evidence. And you describe your faith in cartoons in the textbooks. So why do I have to pay as a taxpayer for you to promote your faith, your religion in schools, but I can't do mine? That's what's going on uh, with that. Okay, he says, so this, he says this, the diversity of life is the outcome of evolution an unsupervised, impersonal, unpredictable, and natural process of temporal descent with genetic modification that is affected by natural selection, chance, and there it is again, I gotta kick it, chance. What is chance? What power does chance have? What can chance actually do? Nothing. Chance is an adjective to describe a mathematical probability. It has no power to do anything. And yet they throw that in there. If you just give enough time and chance, you throw in chance, and somehow chance will make it happen. There's no creative power. It's just a word. It's just adjective. Anyway, uh, historical contingencies and changing environment. This is not a biblical teaching, right? And can I tell you something? It's not a scientific teaching. It's a faith. You have to believe it happened with zero evidence to maintain this, all right? And again, I just want to recap, if you weren't there last week, that even they admit that it is not based on evidence, and they even admit the real reason why they maintain this. Even though there's no evidence for this whatsoever, they bait people and switch by taking the one thing that we do see, species variation, confuse the terms by adding microevolution, and then say, well, see, that proves all the rest, right? There's no evidence, so why do they do it? Let me share with you a couple of those quotes. George Wald states, when it comes to the origin of life, there's only two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way, and I agree. He said, spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago. But that leads us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. Quote, we cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible that life arose spontaneously by chance, ultimately either from a ball of dirt or a thing of gas. Right? So at least they're admitting it. I'm not even going to go that direction. I'm going to believe that we came from gas or a ball of dirt rather than deal with the evidence. All right? Edwin, uh, Edmund Ambrose, he's an evolutionist, he said, we have to admit there is nothing, there is nothing in the geological records that runs contrary to the views of conservative creationists. In other words, what the Bible says, that's what we find. The things that you find that are contradictory is to the theory of evolution. So even he admits it. Arthur Keith, he said, evolution is unproved and unprovable. We believe it because the only alternative is special creation, and that is unthinkable. That doesn't sound like a true scientist to me. You're supposed to deal with all the facts and then come up with the and based, you know, truth on evidence. All right? Huxley said, I suppose the reason why <clears throat> we all jumped at the origin of uh, Darwin, origin of species, was because the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores and Bertrand Russell, evolutionist philosopher, said the idea of getting rid of God, which is what evolution does, quote, freed me up to my erotic desires. So why do these guys maintain this faith? Because they don't like our faith, which says there is a God, which is based in scientific information, right? Because I don't want there to be a God. I want to do whatever I want to do. That's the real reason, Right? As we said before, the reason why people believe in it, by and large, is because of three things. They got the power of the media, they got the power of the schools, and it's a closed-loop system. If you try to interject anything in there that disagrees, okay, they shut you out. It's not an open system, 
right? They say, well, I can't, I've heard this actually before. Well, I can't listen to your uh, you know, information. I, 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 can't even, I can't even look at it. I can't even consider it as, as a serious discussion because this is not in a peer review article. Really? Okay, well, it won't be allowed to go into a peer review article. You know why? Because it disagrees with the theory. So how can I get it into a peer review article so you will review it as a fact, even though it's all based and I can show you it, when they won't let it in there? Well, they must not let it in there for a good reason. Yeah, because it disagreed. It's not an open system. It's a lie. Okay, but that's the game that they play. Let's go on. We're cruising now. Now, let's take a look at some of the, th the problems, obviously. Number one, Darwin's theory of evolution cannot explain where, first blank for the evening, yeah, yeah. Okay, where, for those of you eight people who have workbooks, the rest of you use your imagination. <laughs> Darwin's theory of evolution cannot explain where the universe came from. That's this first one, guys, the Big Bang, okay? So you say it came from a ball of dirt. I don't care what size. We saw last week, remember, it started light years across and then kept going lower and lower and lower until it's finally just a little teeny infinitesimal dot. And then they, we caught them on that, and it, they say, well, nothing. Nothing exploded, and here we are. That's actually what they teach. Okay, but the ones that are still holding on to that little dirt ball, excuse me, where the dirt come from, right? So it doesn't explain where our universe came from. Now listen to what he says here. Life-prohibiting universes are vastly more probable than life-permitting universes, right? So what do we see? That there's something very special about the Earth. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been a lot of articles out uh, lately. They keep saying, we found uh, somewhere, possibly, maybe some planet, possible things near some star-looking things that might maybe have some of the elements of Earth that possibly could produce life. Evolution's true. <laughs> First of all, evolution doesn't happen here. And this is the primo best possible way it could happen if it ever was going to happen but it doesn't happen and so if you find one that's even halfway close to earth it's really not going to happen but if it can't happen here in the best possible realm logically it's not going to happen anywhere you find an exact duplicate of earth i don't care where it is if it's not happening here it's not going to happen there it's the same thing we saw before with the alien thing <gasps> okay there is design it's the aliens as if that solves the issue that didn't solve the issue. You extended the issue. Well, where'd those aliens came from? Well, they come from another highly evolved alien. Okay, well, where'd those aliens come from? Well, they came from another highly evolved alien. Well, where'd those aliens come from? Well, they came from another highly evolved alien. And eventually, you get back to the so-called original alien. Where'd they come from? A ball of dirt or maybe some gas. Where'd the gas, the dirt come from? I don't know. So aliens don't fix it. All you did is extend the problem. Same thing. Well, okay, we don't see evolution here on Earth, but somewhere out there, some... Doesn't that sound like a song? Somewhere. I'm not singing. Now you know why I'm not in the choir. So. <laughs> but you extend the problem. Okay, so, okay, it can't happen here. We don't see it here. It never happens here, uh, even though all the things are here. But maybe we found a place that's out there like Earth. Surely it happens there. You didn't solve the problem. Just like You just extended it, right? You're escaping and running from the issue. Let's continue on. The number of seconds in the history of the universe is about 10 to the 18th power. How would you like to have that, job? To figure that out. That was your deal. That is 10 followed by 18 zeros, is zeros or zeros. It could be zeros because do you see how many are there? I'm not I'm even not going to guess how many that is. Uh, the number of subatomic particles in the entire known universe is said to be about 10 to the 80th power. Now, that's just ridiculous amount. 
Okay, Donald Page, one of America's eminent cosmologists, has calculated the odds of our universe existing as being. That's one chance out of 10 to the power of 124. It's so inconceivable, it's astronomical, it would be crazy. Now, he's going to repeat it down here, but we've already seen it's already been calculated by mathematicians, logically, mathematically, any event, whatever event you want to describe, if it exceeds 1 and 10 to the 50th power, it will never happen. If it did happen, it would be considered an outside force, i.e. a miracle. It could never, and that, the example, the classic one is, if I were to say I've calculated the mathematical odds of given enough chance and time, I could throw a baseball to the moon. I don't, you could probably calculate the odds, but does that make it true? No. And how many billions or trillions of years or zeros after the number could you, uh, would it take before me to ever do that? Never. And that's what 10 to the 50th is. It's never going to happen. Give it up. They know that mathematically. And so what he says there is so inconceivable. Uh, the universe just popping into existence is calculated 1 in 10 to the 124th. It's almost triple. It's not going to happen. They know this. Why do you push it? Because you don't want there to be a God. It's not based on science. It's not based on facts. We don't see it. You blame it on the aliens and some supposed solar system out there. Maybe whatever. It never happens here. It's never going to happen. The real reason the Bible called it out, we saw it last week, 2 Peter chapter 3, you want to follow your ungodly desires. That's why. It's not a science issue. It's a flesh issue. It's your heart. Okay? And that's what he says there. Darwin's theory, number two, cannot explain how non-living things turn into living cells. Okay, your chemical evolution, evolution of light there. Darwin's theory of evolution presupposes that non-living chemicals, if given the right amount of time and circumstances, could develop themselves into living matter. We'll get to that in a second. But there is no scientific data, underline that, no scientific data to back up that what? Belief. You don't see it. That's, you, you can believe that if you want, but that's what it is. It's a belief. We don't see that demonstrated. There is no scientific evidence that our universe has the power of self-organization. If I were to take a pile of sticks, throw some mud on them, right? And then somehow get electricity to zap it every 15 seconds, is that pile of sticks ever going to create a cat? But don't you know, intern Joe that through the natural processes of genetic modification and natural selection and chance, historical contingencies and changing environments with that stick, it could happen. Now, we don't see it today, but it's over millions of years. It's going to happen. And if you don't believe that, then you better go talk to those aliens on that planet over there. Excuse me? Since when does an inanimate object... Is anybody glad that when you're sitting here in the pew, right, all of a sudden, you're trying to listen to the sermon, okay, uh, all of a sudden it turns into a snake, <laughs> right? Now, that would be tempting sometimes to, uh, hopefully that that would happen, because, you know, people would wake up, they'd be more alert, you know, I've wondered, would you please evolve? They're looking at me. Anyway, it doesn't work that way. Anybody glad about that? It's crazy. It's nuts, okay? Hey, we, we got a, a new camera we're trying out. I... Talk about perfect timing, Jordan. You just happen to be here in Canada, but you don't realize what I had to go through, okay, to get that camera there to actually be working tonight. I've been here for almost two and a half years, man. I've been here, every, before you guys get here, I've been going to Radio Shack every week, man. 
I'm buying resistors. I'm buying every single part that I know should constitute a camera, using my intelligence to prove that it's all a random event. And I'm buying all these parts, and every week back there in the back room, I'm just throwing them together, right? And then before, you know, Joey, he, you know, he's zapping them with some electricity. We tried that cattle prod that one week. That didn't do much. We tried it. You got to interject the lightning stuff, right? And, dude, it was this week. All of a sudden, we went back there. <laughs> There's the camera. It would be ridiculous, right? If I believe that cameras evolve from random parts in Radio Shack, what would you think about me? We need a new pastor. Praise God. That's a good deduction. That's science right there, right? It's crazy. But again, even if I took the actual parts, every single one of a camera had them all, every single one, I mean every one, down to the resistors, the circuitry board, the whole nine yards, everything, the lens, the cap, everything. And I put them all in a pile, how many years would it take before it assembled itself? That's the whole belief of this. That you got, even if you had all the right parts, that somehow it just decided to go, oh, crazy person. We don't see that. That's a belief, okay, is what he's talking about there. So that, is, that doesn't explain that. Mathematicians, even atheistic mathematicians, uh, have calculated that the probability of life emerging from chance chemical interaction is, it, what would what, they say, even the atheists? Impossible. Impossible. And I'm telling you, that's why that uh, uh, either transpermia or panspermia with the aliens is the big thing now. Or saying, well, it's some other planet out there. Because it's impossible, and we don't see it here. Sir Fred Hoyle, who is a respected astrophysicist from Cambridge, uh, he calculated that the probability of one living cell developing by chance from non-living material okay, is 1 and 10 to the 40,000th power. Now, that's where we saw last, or the week before last, right? Remember that? And to give you an idea of how ridiculous of a number that is, okay, we not only saw uh, how long it would take to write out that number, period, but we saw, to give you an analogy, that would be the same odds of same that uh, not just how successful would you be solving a Rubik's Cube blindfolded, but it would be saying the same thing that you solved that Rubik's Cube blindfolded 2,150 times in a row blindfolded. Ain't gonna happen. It's impossible. They know it's not. So why would you do it? The Bible gives us the answer. They don't want there to be a God. And then the Bible tells us also that they would choose to be willingly ignorant. I'll believe we came from gas because I don't want to believe in a God. As ridiculous as that is, Peter predicted that 2,000 years ago. We see it today. And it says this, the figure was endorsed by Sandro, big last name there, Buddhist professor uh, in Wales, and mathematicians commonly say that anything that's a possibility, again, of 1 in 10 to the 50th power is impossible. So statistically speaking, it isn't even possible for life to appear by chance alone. It's ridiculous. With odds, these odds, it's difficult to see how anyone could possibly believe that the origin of life was a mere random chance event. In fact, given the odds, it is totally, what's the word? Irrational. Can I supply that with the biblical words? Willingly ignorant. You have to be willingly ignorant, irrational to believe that. And that's exactly what God said. Yet for some reason, we have been conditioned to accept this type of irrational belief structure as scientific. It's not. Okay? Now, they're going to say, again, I want to uh, follow this up and finish this up. Uh, let's go over here on this next page. And I want to finish up with the Miller-Urey experiment. And then we'll have to catch up, uh, Lord willing, next week. Top of the page 20 says this. Walter Bradley, former professor, Texas A&M, uh, author of the book, The Mystery of Life's Origin, said, quote, I think people who believe that life emerged naturalistically need to have a great deal more what? 
faith than people who reasonably infer that there's a what? Intelligent designer. Sir Fred Hoyle says, the current scenario of the origin of life, i.e. evolution's explanation, is about as likely as the assemblage of a Boeing 747 by a tornado whirling through a junkyard. It's ridiculous. And uh, Sir Francis Crick, he says this, he's one of the co-discoveries of the DNA molecule. He stated publicly that it is mathematically what? Impossible. How many times do we keep saying this? And these are atheists, non-Christians, are admitting repeatedly in this one study, their actual quotes, it's impossible. So I'll say it again. Then why do they continue to push it? Because they don't want to believe in God. It's that simple, folks. The Bible said it 2,000 years ago. We are in that generation when it's coming alive. And remember the context that Peter said there? In the last days, scoffers would come. The rise of evolution, I said it before, is actually a sign, if you read the Bible, we're in the last days. Because it's producing this scoffing society of people who are willingly ignorant because they want to follow their ungodly desires. They even admit that it's not true, okay? He says this. Uh, he says it's mathematically impossible for life to have randomly evolved on earth by chance processes alone. He writes, an honest man armed with all the knowledge available to us now could only state that in some sense the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a what? Miracle, so many are the conditions which would have been satisfied uh, to get it going. Now, as we saw before in the video last week again, uh, his current belief is uh, evolution is not true. It can't happen by chance. There's too much evidence of design. That's what he's saying. But he's chosen to go the alien route, which again doesn't solve the problem. It just extends the problem. But he admits it. Now, let's go back to the Miller-Ur experiment because believe it or not, this is actually still... Uh, put in textbooks today as big major proof for evolution. All right. Now, first of all, uh, the whole process that these guys that went into the laboratory, I'll get in a second, does not prove evolution. Because think about what they're doing. If you can imagine a, a scientist with his white lab coat on, and he's got all these test tubes, and he's sitting there, and he's got them heated up, and he's got all these different chemicals that he chose and he brought up to the table, and these different things, and they're going through the thing, whatever, and he's doing these experiments to calculate to make this happen. So really, in essence, the whole procedure is this. He is saying that I am going to use my intelligence that it didn't take intelligence for life to evolve. What? No, if you're going to do that, what you need to do, uh, do a step closer to the true teaching of evolution. Throw it all on the table and leave. But still, it's not even true to the definition of evolution because that's not random. You still chose the ones to throw on the table. You see what I'm saying? So just even if you could create life in the laboratory, you're still not proving evolution because you have to use intelligence to do it. Do you see how... Uh, absurd. It's circular reasoning. It's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, but here's what they did. In the 1950s, there was two guys, Stanley Miller and Harold Urey, and they conducted this experiment in the University of Chicago, and they were trying to create uh, life, if you will, in the laboratory with non-living matter, right? Like the stick thing. So they uh, made a bunch of glass tubing, and they circulated different gases, but they left out oxygen. We'll get to that in a second as to why. Then they used an electric spark that was supposed to stimulate lightning strikes in some sort of prebiotic soup, you know. And finally, they put a trap at the bottom, uh, a contraption to gather what stuff was coming out of this process that they created. And so the big question is, did they create life? No. In fact, they lied. And they still put it in textbooks today. The first thing that they lied about was the oxygen. Okay, listen to this. 
uh, they purposely excluded oxygen from their experiment because they knew that oxygen would destroy or oxidize the very building blocks amino acids that they were trying to create. So they didn't put that in there. But there's a problem, okay? You need to have oxygen in there if you're going to have a true experiment, okay? And they knew that they couldn't put oxygen in there because it would not only oxidize and destroy, but they knew that there's an interesting thing that they've noticed and observed in science. It's a dilemma, if you will, for evolutionary science. Listen, as it turns out, you can't get life to evolve with oxygen. At the same time, you can't get it to evolve without oxygen. It's almost, according to science, just looking at the oxygen issue, that it all appeared on the scene at the same time. You can't recreate, right? So that was your first lie that they did. They took oxygen out because they knew it would never work. It wasn't going to work anyway. But anyway, the second lie that they did was a gas issue. Scientists back in the 80s agreed that if they were going to be true to the experiment, they should have used the gases nitrogen and carbon dioxide as well. But they used, not that, they used methane and ammonia. Well, why? Because they knew that without ammonia, it would be impossible to form amino, amino acids, Right? So you cheated, right? So you stuck something in there that shouldn't be there, but you knew that it would give you what you wanted, okay? Uh, in, in fact, two American scientists later repeated the Miller-Urey experiment using the correct gases, if evolution was true, carbon dioxide, hydrogen, nitrogen, water vapor, and guess what they got? Nothing. Okay. The third deception, the lie, was the filter issue, and what they do is they purposely filtered out Okay, the product that they were trying to create by the sparking gas mixture thing. Okay, but stop and think about it. If this were truly a random event, according to evolution, uh, by some primordial soup getting struck by a lightning bolt, then there would be no filtering, right? You wouldn't be filtering in case another lightning bolt came along and destroyed that. But that's what they did. They filtered out the results because they knew if they didn't, then the stuff that they were trying to create would get circulated back through the tubing again and get destroyed. You lied. I'm not done yet, and can you believe this is still printed in textbooks today as proof for evolution? Crazy. The fourth one is the results problem. Say, okay, well, what'd they make? Well, here's what they came out with, even with all that dishonesty. All they came up with was 85% tar. I came from tar, man. <laughs> I'm just dirt, tar, and a ball of gas. I feel so great tonight, don't you? I feel encouraged. 85% tar, 13% carboxylic acid, both, by the way, which are toxic to life, and only 2% amino acids. Okay, and now the two amino acids that were created, they quickly bonded with the tar or the carboxylic acid, which, again, were toxic to life. But again, it wasn't even true results. You manipulated them, whatever, but it was still bonding with that, so it was all destroyed. But even then, if even those two amino acids could survive somehow, some way, and it wasn't going to happen, then there are only two out of the 20 you need to produce life. So it's completely bankrupt, okay? So regardless what they say, that experiment proves nothing. It was a huge dud, and it's all based on lies. Now, we'll close with an analogy. It's never going to happen. Let's go back to the inanimate matter. I talked about sticks and mud and Joey and his cattle prod. Right? Ain't going to happen. Camera's never going to... No. I love this analogy. It's a frog in a blender analogy, right? Let's go with that. If you were to put a frog in a blender and make frog soup, hey, it's all biodegradable, all natural, Protein somewhere. Anybody want to try? I don't think so. Frog soup. So you put a frog in there, right? In frog soup, and you turn it on, 
and you let that baby run for a million years. That's a big electric bill, Joey. Right? Your great, 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 whatever grandkids would have to pay it. Okay, but anyway, so, but how long would it take before the frog reassembled its life back together again in that blender? Hey, what are you laughing about? All the frog molecules, I mean every single one that is needed for a frog to exist is in that blender. A ninja blender, is that messing it out? Dude, you're missing up the theory of evolution. What are you doing? Okay, but no. But maybe that's what it was. If we used a non-ninja blender, it could happen on another planet used by an alien. <laughs> right? You got all the frog molecules in one place, right? And that's what they say. Now, again, even with the Miller-Urey experiment, you cheated. But just because you got all the right things for life to exist in one place, it's not going to happen. That frog is never going to come back again. So logically, okay, Non, just as non, a non-living dead frog soup mixture is never going to reassemble itself, then logically neither can non-living dead matter from some primordial soup way back when. It's the most absolutely illogical thing uh, in existence, and there is no evidence for it. It is not based on science, and I'm telling you, the only reason why people believe it is because they got the power of the media, they got the educational system, and it's a closed-loop system. And even when they discuss it with people, they bait and switch you. They take the one and only thing we do see, which is scientific, which does agree with the Bible, label it as evolution, when all it is is species variation, and say, see, the rest of this is true. All because you don't want there to be a God. Isn't that wild? And God sees this whole thing. We talked, we did this for 10 weeks in a row. No wonder Romans chapter 1 said, Excuse me, I left you all this exist, uh, proof of my existence and my creation and what I made. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. You have the, excuse me, I left you all that evidence so that you would come to me and you have the audacity to shake a fist at me and say, no, I came from gas. <laughs> You're storing up the wrath of God. You don't want to be around that gas thing. Okay, but let's close in prayer. Next week, we are going to deal with even more problems, but let's close in prayer. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, 
that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the heart, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, 
there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries and if there's anything that we can do for you uh please don't hesitate uh to contact us uh our number our information will uh come up here on the screen shortly and uh, uh if there's anything we could do for you please don't hesitate to let us know uh thank you for uh joining us and uh remember i hope to see you in heaven god bless Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.